If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go. Mind Pump. Mind Pump. With your hosts, Sal Stefano, Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews. You just found the world's number one fitness, health, and entertainment podcast. This is Mind Pump, right? Today's episode, we had Max Lugavere on, one of our favorite, favorite people in the health, fitness, and wellness space. But in this episode, he gets personal. We talk to him about all kinds of crap that we know you're going to love. If you're a fan of Max Lugavere, you're going to want to listen to this episode. We ask him all kinds of questions, things that are personal, things that have nothing to do with health and wellness, things that do have to do with health and wellness. And then we talk about all the stuff that's happening on social media right now. So very fun, loose episode. Now, this podcast is brought to you by a sponsor, Sleep Me. This company makes devices that warm and cool your bed to improve the quality of your sleep. In fact, one of their products called the Uller has two separate sides. So you and your partner can have different temperatures in the bed. And studies have shown that if you sleep at the right temperature, you dramatically improve the quality of your sleep. So you feel more rested, you have better memory and better hormones, more balanced hormones. Anyway, go check this company out. Go to sleep.me forward slash pump 30 and you can take 25% off any of the sleep systems, which includes their Doc Pro with the code pump 30. Also, we got a sale going on this month. We put together our best at-home workout program. So these are workout programs that require little to no equipment and we discounted them tremendously. So we took MAPS Anywhere, MAPS Suspension, MAPS Prime, and the No BS six-pack formula. We put them in a bundle. This would normally retail for over $330, but right now you can get them all for only $99.99. If you're interested, if you want to sign up or just learn more, go to mapsdecember.com. All right, here comes the show. We're going to do a personal episode with you. Man. Yeah, we don't want to talk any science at all. No. None? Yeah, we want to, we want to know about you. Personal? Yeah, we want to know all about- Well, let's let's start by talking about your your current episode that you just did with Joe Rogan. I think to, in today's time, uh, getting on Joe Rogan is like getting on Oprah, right? Like, I mean, that's a big that's a big deal, so- Yeah, did you feel it? Was it a big- I mean, because you crushed it, too. You did a good job on that. Thank you so much. Um, I was definitely anxious- uh, like going, going into it because it's, it would, I mean, just, you know, his average is about three hours in length for, for an episode. And I, I don't think I'd ever done, and mm. you know, been on anybody's podcast for that length. Maybe you guys, but we've done long ones with you. Yeah. Did he offer weed? Uh, he didn't, I don't think explicitly offer that, but, um, what an ass he offered. Yeah. <laughs> he offered coffee and, uh, oh, he did offer like a B12 shot when I came in. He has like a Wait. nurse. A shot shot? A shot shot. That's funny. <laughs> That's in the bus. So cool. No, because he has- I don't want any weed, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> he has a nurse there that I guess was like during COVID was doing like the, the on-site testing. But now she, what she was, and she's lovely, she was doing, you could e choose either like a B12 shot or an NAD shot or something like that. So they offer that to me. I want that. Yeah, Doug. it was cool. I want that here. I didn't- you just take a shot of stuff? You didn't partake? I didn't yeah. partake because I just didn't know how it would such a square. make me feel. I think we tried to was, get you high the first time you came in here, didn't we? I was just, you know, I was like- remember i wasn't nervous i was just anxious about like i didn't want to get on and then like have like diarrhea of the mouth you know mm -hmm. oh yeah because there were there were so many things that i had like thought about talking about and um you want to be I, calm yeah i want to be calm i learned that a long time ago i used to get hyped up for stuff yeah and then i get hyped up anyway and it would just make me anxious so yeah. i'm like i just have chill. you seen how refined this guy's got that's how we sent him to do all the podcasts he is, yeah. Now. Yeah, he's, he's gotten great. really good sells great no he is he's Stop. definitely polished anyway uh so <laughs> so um 
big deal. So what is a big deal going on there? I mean, in terms of like business followers, did you get a way more attention? I mean, it, it, was de- like it, now? it was a big deal because a, for one, like he's, you know, Rogan is somebody who I tremendously respect for what he's built for the kinds of things that he's, you know, stuck his neck out to say, especially over the past two years. Um, so, you know, it was in, in many ways, like meeting somebody who you, who you really look up to. So that's always kind of like sure. a nerve wracking anxiety inducing, but not literally right? he's, he's pretty short in person. Yeah? Oh my God. Yes. I'm he taller, is. but, uh, <laughs> he can kick my ass for sure. <laughs> like if it, if it, if, I mean, he's like, he's a, he's a ball of muscle, the dude. So, yeah. I mean, there's he's jacked. Yeah. He's, he's super jacked. down to earth. Did you feel like you were kind of bust in and bust out or did you feel like you really got to hang and get to know him? What'd it feel like? Yeah. I felt like uh, there wasn't a lot of chit chat before or, or after the, the recording, but when the mics became hot, he was immediately disarming and and super charismatic and personable. And you could tell right away why he is what he is. He just makes you feel instantly at ease, like you're like an old friend. Mm. And um, and that was surprising because like I actually didn't know like the angle that he was gonna take with me. Like was he gonna try to like assess my, you know, see like where I'm coming from and size me up or or anything like that. But he he seemed genuinely interested in in what I had to say and he was very warm and and uh, it, it just created this like perfect <clears throat> runway for me to um, to talk about all the things that I had wanted to talk about, you know, like because for me, like it, I kind of approached it like I approached my first book. Like when I wrote Genius Foods, I was like, I would not have anticipated having the opportunity. I didn't anticipate having the opportunity to write a book two or book three. So I didn't leave anything on the table. I put it all in the book. Like I, I considered the book like my legacy in a way, like what, if, if I only had the opportunity to write one book, what, what was it that I wanted to say? And so that's kind of like when you have an opportunity like that to go on that kind of platform, at least for me, I approached it similarly, you know? And so he just was so generous in that he left the runway wide open for me to, to kind of talk about the things. I think that, that, I think it matters that he probably liked you. Because I remember when uh, our, our friend Tom went on his show and he just, he just it ripped. wasn't good. Yeah, it really? was bad. Have, yeah. Did you watch that ever? I think I did. Yeah, yeah it was, a while ago. It's yeah. tough to watch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it felt like uh, like Tom's people like connected with Joe's people, and it was just like, listen, I'm a big guy, you're a big guy, let's do something together, mm-hmm. and we can cross pollinate or something like that. And Joe's like, ah, who the fuck are you? Like, okay, come on. And then I think he just was hammering him with shit. Yeah, like, yeah. from the get. Well, I think like I mean, if there's if there's anything that Joe is, he's like a bloodhound for authenticity, you know, and and. I don't know. A lot of these people in the personal growth space, and I, I'm not saying this about Tom, but um, but I don't think that there's always the aut- authenticity there. Like once you peel really? back the market. You don't think? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've, we made we've, a career on that to try to expose that. So, I mean, yeah. there's It's terrible. It is. Yeah. And That's especially the, in our space. It's Well, it's, I think it's not just our space. You see it in uh, outside of fitness too. It's kind of the model. You get to a place where you make a little bit of money, you have some success, and then the next pivot or move is to sell other people on how to do the same thing as you. When you know that 99% of the people never will do that, but there's the most money made online is teaching others how to make money. So you, yeah. you teach them how to do the same thing in these mastermind groups. Yeah. It's like, I feel like it's the model it's that everybody a, does. Yeah, it's just interesting. You're, you're, I mean, obviously we liked you right out the gates because you're so, I mean, you are, what you see here is how you are in real life. It's very, you're very real and very, uh, balanced and honest. And uh, that's what came across in that interview. I did want to ask you about another interview you did because there was one show you went on, also massive. 
however extremely polarizing. Not your interview, but the person who interviewed you. <laughs> and I, I remember when you were you went on there, you texted me. I, don't, I hope you don't mind me saying Yeah, this. I don't mind, no. You texted me and you're like, I wonder, this is about to come out. I wonder what kind of response it's going to have. It's going to get because we talked nothing about polarizing issues. I talked about health and nutrition like you always do, but because it was who it was. We're talking about Tucker Carlson. <laughs> and, you know, when you got the invite, what did you think? Because he's like, obviously, people, he's, he's you know, on the right, you know, he, he, he very polarizing with politics. Very. Probably one of the most polarizing kind of mainstream people <clears throat> in that space. He wanted you on to talk about Genius Foods and talk about nutrition health, but you were like, oh, crap, what's this going to do? What was that like? Did you get attacked just for going on his show, even though he didn't talk about anything? But well, the book? first the first thing it was so for me it felt so out of left field to be invited on to that platform that I thought I was being trolled by like the vegan cartel or something, <laughs> being being invited to some remote location where it was how tough be, is that cartel? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They all have scooters. We're, we're going to kill you, but we're tired. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not kidding. I, I, it was like a real concern that I was going to be invited somewhere and that it was going to be the end of it. Oh, wow. You, yeah. That really crossed your mind? I, I swear. Yeah, I swear. I'm not That's being, funny. Yeah. And um, But no, we had a conversation with the producer and- Didn't you say you went and hung out at his place? Didn't you go to his, like, where the, where the recording things? Is it on his property or where's it at? It's not, it's not on his property, but he has like, he records remotely, like in a, in a, in a barn somewhere. Like it's very nondescript. Yeah. You'd, you'd never know. And inside it's like this, I think that's how he's operated for a long time. I think, I, I think this is public. He used to do it in DC and then he was attacked. Like he was attacked on the street and it just became oh, unsafe I didn't know that. for him. Did you know that? No. Yeah. There was no. something that like, so crazy. I mean, yeah, there was something that, 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 you so know, wild. he's, he's obviously very, very polarizing. He's a public figure. And so, um, yeah. So I was lured out into like the middle of nowhere and, uh, and were you still like questioning it while you're going out there? Like, uh, up until know. seeing him. Yeah. No I way. Was, I was nervous. <laughs> yeah, Bag over your head. Like, yeah. Put this mask on, please. Uh, yeah. Yeah, your pocket <laughs> mace ready. Well, it's interesting because like you get to a certain, like, cause you know, for me, like building, building a following was never really like, I mean, it's been a good way to litmus test my, the impact that I'm having in the world, but it was mm. never my intent. Like my intent was to, learn as much as I could about health and nutrition and to, and to share that with whoever would listen. But I never would have anticipated like having any degree of like a profile in this space. Right. And so I've never really gone through the lengths of like, like, I don't, I'm kind of an open book, right? Like I don't, uh, if there are things that like people, notable people who are like public figures have to do to make sure that their lives are more private. Like I haven't done any of those things. So you know, who knows, like if, if they would have like found me somewhere and, and just like reached out, you know, um, I mean, my email address is like fairly easy to like to, yeah. to, to, to figure out, you know, but, um, you're a lovable guy. It's not like the same. I don't think it's the same as Tucker Carlson for sure. Well, I mean, yeah. I want to hear what happened after you went on. Cause I yeah. saw some yeah. comments on Instagram and I was, it was cracking me up. Yeah. Well, the vast majority of my following, especially over the past two years, because I've, I have not been neutral on the issues that I thought were important to talk about over sure. the past, similar to you. Yeah. Right. So yeah. like, I mean, I'm, I think generally less interested in politics than you are. So it's, it's not like we, we all you know, are. What? I think we all are less <laughs> interested in salads. Yeah. I'm, I'm not, I've never, I've always considered myself apolitical, but over the past, you know, a couple of years, like with the, with the pandemic and the, and the arbitrary lockdown stuff and the masking and the, and the just sort of like black and white thinking about, about everything and the mandates, I've, I've 
put my foot out, right? And I've like kind of like broken silence on a on a on just a small handful of issues that I thought were really important that I couldn't keep to myself. And so um I've done a good job, I think, of like pruning my following to the point where like they kind of knew yeah, kind of what to expect. Yeah. Or, but yeah. some when they saw that I was on Tucker Carlson's show were like, How could you go on his show? I'm unfollowing, you're the worst, you know, like I, I did get like some of those those hate messages, but I was happy to receive them, you know, because like those people would have jumped ship at some point. They weren't there for me. You, okay, so I love that attitude because I feel like um, if you get, I don't know, if you gain some kind of notoriety or authority, so let's say you do a good job, you're communicating a message, you're selling a product, whatever, and then you gain a bunch of notoriety, but the way that you present yourself is uh, not kind of, I guess, not super real or authentic you can almost put yourself into a prison a little bit. Like I, I know somebody like this where um, she did something or she said something that all of a sudden could be perceived in one particular direction and mm -hmm. had this huge blow up because the people that followed her kind of had no idea on some of the stuff that, you know, or, or some of the directions that she, that she went or felt. So I feel like that's a smart strategy as you continue to grow, just kind of be who you are. What it you is weird though that, that, that um, it's interesting. You know what I, you know what I love about health and fitness the most is that it used to not be political and polarizing. It was yeah. really, you know, I could talk to anybody about it and I could help anybody. That's what I said to you, I think, when you told me about Tucker Carlson. I'm like, well, you're talking to his audience about getting Yeah, healthier. what should it matter? I mean, at that point, like Weird. who you're going to talk to about like yeah. core values of things that'll help anybody. Well, the, yeah, the platform shouldn't matter. It's the message that matters. Yeah. And so for me, I was like, at a certain point, I, I just kind of had to realize and 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 like embrace that as like a as like a sort of guiding philosophy you know that my north star really is to help people no matter what their p political beliefs like i don't care what your political exactly. beliefs are you know like if you uh, you could be like i don't know i mean i'd if right now kanye west wanted to sit down and have a conversation <laughs> with me about like what he can do to use food oh, to improve his mental health i would be happy more than happy to have that conversation with him you he, know what i'm saying he needs that yeah, well, speaking of, of polar, what do you think, what yeah. do you think yeah. about uh, the Liver King? Oh man, huh? Uh, well, were you I, surprised? I was not surprised. No, I was not surprised. I mean, I yeah, it really came out of left field, huh? <laughs> yeah. If only there were signs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If only there were signs, you know. I mean, okay. So we speculated. <clears throat> we were talking about this when we were uh, Doug, me, and and um, Justin were talking about this that. I, I think that he knew it was always going to end eventually happen. Like people are going to figure that out at once. You know, I mean, sooner or later, the bigger yeah. he got, I think he didn't care. I think he knew that would happen. And I think his strategy was if we, if I get up into the millions of people, when the backlash comes and the fallout happens, I lose 30%, but that's still 50%. I'm still you making, he thought it all three like hundred percent. Really? Did you read all the emails? I, I read the emails. Oh, I didn't read all of them. I just oh, read yeah. Them. Oh, okay. Yeah, I got sucked. I went into the rabbit hole and like read the whole correspondence back and forth. With mm. He called, he was at zero followers and he says, this is what I'm going to do. My goal is by 2022 to have a million followers on Instagram. Wow. So he had like oh, in that. email went back and forth about his strategy and the, in, so. the intent was to get that big. And I really think that you have to know that eventually that's you you look crazy that it's going to get it's going to get found out yeah. especially if you get that big so i think he knew he would get found out and then when he did it did wouldn't matter cuz i bet his business is doing just fine did you see what he was taking yeah i'm not i mean i don't i don't know much about that world so but. he's he, he's taking the amount of growth hormone he's taking is like pro bodybuilders don't take that much growth hormone wow yeah, so I don't know what he's Damn. what he's thinking or doing <laughs> yeah. with all that stuff. He's definitely not natural. That's yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely not natty. Yeah. 
No, I mean, I thought it was like, I mean, I've got like conflicting thoughts about it, but I had a conversation with my friend Joshua Milburn of the, of the minimalist podcast um, yesterday who, uh, you know, who kind of helped me gain some new perspective on it. First of all, first off, I wasn't like a fan of his, I, w- I wasn't like a follower yeah. of his, but, um, but I did initially think when I saw that, that this is like basically fraud because he's mm-hmm. used this, he's, he's flat out lied, right. Mm-hmm. On podcasts to help sell this, like this lifestyle and his supplements. Right. Um, which I thought was like, in a way, false advertising. Like, how is that not false? <clears throat> it's literally a charlatan. Yeah. But if people, you know, did it like, what's the, what type of harm did it, did it do? Like, did people like adopt his principles and then get healthier as a result? And if so, like, you some know. of his stuff, some of his stuff was just a little too extreme. Yeah. Like, you know, just eating raw. I think the only mistake he made was, was denying it so hard. Yeah. Had he just avoided it, yeah. it would have been fine. Yeah. Cause I agree using that, <clears throat> using that as a, as a way to get attention to then present a healthy, good message. I mean, let's be honest. That's what I did before mind pump. Yeah. I mean, I, I hadn't no and I didn't have any desire to be a bodybuilder or go that direction. It was purely to gain all this attention. I took steroids to do it. Yeah, and but you, it wasn't a bold face. Yeah, lie. Lie yeah. But of course so, I didn't lie about it. I mean, that's, I, well, that's why I'm, I think I'm smarter than this guy is. Yeah. I, I saw that. Like, yeah. I, I'm just going to not talk about it. If people ask me, I'm going to be honest. That was my approach. But you're like it. a rarity. I feel like 99.9% of like fitness influencers who make a living <clears throat> showing off their bodies. Like they're all taking stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah like yeah. the, with the exception of maybe like lane, right? Like yeah. every, everybody, everybody is like, is like on something and nobody is being upfront about it. And so this is, this, this I think he could have been non up, up front and just not, he, I mean, I don't know if you saw the, like the montage of clips that he did on all the shows of him, like blatantly denying, it. denying it. Yeah. I have never, like, that's where he like fucked blatantly. up. Yeah. He should have just like ignored it or downplayed or made, it. Like and, a cheeky, like joke about yeah, it. Yeah. Like, but the fact that he know? was like so staunch about never taking it, that's where he got fucked. But again, I don't think he's fucked. I think he's still going to, I think he's going to make out financially. And I think his message as far as, you know, what is his, uh, his nine ancestral tenets or whatever that he does. I yeah. mean, I th- those, there's some good, truth in what he said. There's good advice. 100%. Yeah. yeah. It's good advice. Yeah. Uh, yeah it still I, convolutes everything in totally. my opinion. And, and it muddies what we're trying to do. It muddies what like real professionals are trying to do. So, uh, I think that, you know, it's a slippery slope. We, we can always justify like uh, things like that, where we're trying to like push a good message through like a, a shitty like way of, of getting there. Uh, but you lose all the integrity that was behind it. Okay. So now what, what do you have left? Uh, you, you know, you don't have a good example to, you hate all buff guys. <laughs> Let's be honest. No, I don't like liars. That's it. <laughs> Fuck yeah, liars. He has no, no I got no tolerance. No, I know you have dude. no patience. He hates yeah. good people. hundred yeah, percent. Did you guys like think the apology was sincere? I thought it read as sincere. I, but, I think it was because he knew it was, he'd already thought about that shit years ago. Yeah. I do not think that he went into this. If he went in with the goal of, I'm going to get millions of people paying attention to me, I'm going to take copious amounts of steroids and growth hormone. You have to know that one day, like it's going to get uncovered. And so he had to have already thought about, okay, when this shit does hit the fan, what am I going to do? I'll just apologize. Yeah. I'll just say I was insecure about my body. Like, and then people are going to relate to him and understand. Like, I mean, if you read the comments on the apology, a lot of people are like, I like him more now. So <laughs> yeah. I, I think he's going to make out business-wise. Business-wise, yeah. he will. I, it annoys the shit out of me, though. I mean, he's selling yeah. products. So, I mean, he wouldn't be yeah. a friend of ours because of that. No, I mean, you, want, you want whoever's selling you products just to be honest. You know, and that's a pretty big, you know, that's a pretty big lie. If he didn't say anything, it'd be okay. And I don't give a shit, to be honest with you, if he takes... 
steroids yeah. are on and what I don't give a shit about no, just, that. Just yeah. the lie. I, but I, I don't like him anyway uh, to begin with, even before this all came out, because he's like a caricature. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, like a like a, a character. And it kind of, it, for our space, it definitely mm-hmm. is something people can point to and be like, oh yeah, this is what, this is strength training. This is what, you know, the fitness space is. It's all this <clears throat> Well, weird, there's something you know. to that. You mentioned the character. Like you start to see like what does really well in social media. You see yeah. what gets elevated the most. And you really like, it's like, I would, I would say like comparable to WWE where like yeah. everybody that's an influencer is trying to re- like create this sort of caricature of themselves and present them and to me like it's 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 interesting to watch like how well that does still in comparison to somebody that's authentic and just given oh message. i think most of them are that way i mean that's been our experience i don't know about yours but when we meet people for the first time that are you know super famous on instagram or youtube uh they're always different in person they're always who was it who was it that couldn't turn it off <clears throat> Elliot Holtz. There you go. Oh, right. Who's uh, that? We like met that. him in person. I was excited to meet him actually because I I like his content. He's got this like you know you gotta fu- you know <laughs> work hard and be the best. Yeah. Like he talks like this right. Uh, and then uh, when we were uh, done, uh, when we were done and the mics were yeah. off, he kept talking like this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I'm like, we're done. It's like, bro, the mics the mics <laughs> yeah. are on right Elliot, now. Yeah. This, what, yeah. what are you doing, man? Uh, okay, dude. But a lot of them were like that. I yeah. mean, I, uh, Connor Murphy was this uh, super shy. I'm going to just throw people in the bus right now, right? So whatever. <laughs> He's a nice true podcast. Yeah, I like him. He's a good kid, whatever. But like super nervous. Shy. Bradley Martin, same thing. Like all these these kids that are like, get, they get super famous online. And then you meet them in person. They're all insecure and nervous and they don't they can't make eye contact and their personality doesn't align with this character that they built up on social it's interesting. It's, yeah it's it's really interesting to see yeah. it's more rare and i think that when we that's why we we tend to cling to people like yourself when we meet that because we kind of expect everyone to be like that now and so yeah. it's like oh dude this guy's real he's he's the same on the podcast as he is off the podcast yeah. like i think yeah. mm-hmm. i think that's more rare for us has that been your experience or has it been different for you yeah no i mean the real ones are rare for sure and i feel the same way about you guys like there there are people that i'll that i'll invite onto my podcast who you know you could tell as soon as they enter the studio that they're they they like <laughs> they put on it's like they flip a switch that they're suddenly like at the helm of some like big media opportunity and they start performing and it's, um, and it's just, uh, it's very cheesy. Yeah. It's yeah. not, it's not, but I feel like those people there, they don't have the longevity, you know, That's, so you just got to see them. You it's just slower like, to go your approach or our approach, but it's, it's more sustainable. Yeah. Like it's, and, and obviously you, you feel a hell of a lot Plus better. It's not hell. Could you imagine being the liver king in public? You know what I mean? You're trying to hang out with your family and kids, and then people. Yeah, but I think yeah, but I think half of what drives those people are narcissistic as fuck. Like they, he likes that. He's probably he's always like that. That's fair. Yeah, those people they want that attention. Yeah, Yeah. but ultimately, it's like what it's like what you said. You end up putting yourself in prison. Prison, whether it's like your personality or your ideology, like your dogma. And I feel like a lot of the carnivores have done that, like the the carnivore types. Yes, you know. Like they, they, they are so extreme and so dogmatic. And then once they're, I mean, you've kind of seen this publicly with some of them that like, as soon as their diet stops working for them, then they have to pivot and it becomes this whole thing. Like this revolt. Yeah. This revolt. That's like when Paul Salvino started adding honey to his diet. Oh, honey. What friend of ours was it that Mm -hmm. said that they were the one that got him to do that? Who was it? Oh, it was one of our friends. Yeah. I can't remember. Yeah, somebody it, said that. Was I it can't. Jason? What was it? I don't remember who it was. But one of our friends was saying that they were the one that really like yeah, dude, convinced like, him. He's like on a paleo diet. I'm like, what the? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this isn't a carnivore diet anymore. You know? Yeah, 
Yeah, it's, was that was that vegan girl? Wasn't it? there was this like vegan influencer girl? Oh yeah, they do that. I mean, you see that all the time. Well, she got someone took a picture of her, her eating, eating like eating tacos fish. Or something. Yeah, yeah, eating tacos. Tacos. <laughs> at, a, at a restaurant. Oh my god! And she had to do this big old apology <laughs> about it. Yeah, so that's why that's why we're always like, you know, we always, you know, Adam is always like, I like Diet Coke. Yeah. <laughs> we, like, God forbid somebody sees me. Right, right, Edge right. your bets, you know. Yeah. Well, since we're talking about being authentic, so I, you know, part of the thing I wanted to do with you today is to be more personal, and so I want to ask you. I'll put you on the spot. What would you say is your single biggest insecurity? Oh man. My single biggest insecurity. What a question. That's right. Um, Think about it. We got time. Yeah. He gets insecure because he doesn't have any insecurities. I talked <laughs> to him about this before. No. Now we all do, right? I've got many. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think like, you know, occasionally I have like imp imposter syndrome which I think is common when you're, when you're, I think doing anything, honestly, I think like, I don't, I don't know anybody who, especially once you get to a certain like level where, um, you start getting like a little bit of praise, but along with that praise, you get like criticism too. And, uh, and for me, you know, it's like, I, I have never misrepresented myself. Like I, from day one, I, I got into this because of my mom I'm not a medical doctor. I didn't go through the, the academic channels and I try to do the best I can at learning and then teaching what it is that I'm learning. And when, you know, I have a, when I have a shift in terms of my, uh, a belief or whatever that I have about whether it's food or, or lifestyle, I, I try to be as trans transparent and open as possible. Right. Um, but, um, but you know, like I feel like the criticism sometimes from people that don't agree with me for their own ideology, ideological reasons, whether it's like the vegans or dietitians that are trained a certain way and see me as being a threat because I'm not a dietitian, but I'm kind of like encroaching on their territory. I try to be, um, I try not to let those, that, that criticism get to me, but, uh, but it does sometimes. And it just, it just perpetuates that like imposter syndrome feeling that I, that I sometimes get. Yeah. But don't you think it keeps you humble? Yeah, I think, you know what I mean? Cause I feel like if you have to have a little bit of that, otherwise you could get real arrogant. Yeah. You know, cause you can, you'll question, okay, well I got to make sure I say it this way. Well, I way. guess if you, if you position your, cause I don't know if I feel like I go through that, but I know, I don't feel like I ever position myself as like an authority in anything. Mm. So that's probably, and because you're presenting a lot of information and science, yeah. like you have to kind of dance that, like, uh, I'm, I'm, I am kind of an authority because people are reaching out to you for specific. I think maybe you and our, our show yeah. have that more than do I you, do. Like, I don't feel that. Do you think to yourself, um, cause I noticed this about you when you present information, you're very careful to not present it. Um, like, like in, in a overly positive or overly negative way, you'll say, okay, this study shows other studies may show this suggests like you speak very, um, in a very accurate way. Do you think to yourself like, okay, what I'm saying now is going to be recorded and it needs to stand the test of time. So I got to make sure I position myself in a way where I'm not being too, you know, one direction or another. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I always try to couch what it is I'm saying with the <clears throat> acknowledgement that science evolves and that um, what we believe to be true today might be overturned tomorrow or next week or next month. And so, yeah, I think as a, as a, as a communicator, part of like my, the, the skill set that I've honed over, over the past few years is to, is to be very deliberate with my words. I think words are, are super important. 
particularly particularly when talking about these kinds of things and and you know my passion is brain health and helping people avert age-related chronic disease because I saw such profound illness with my mom. And so I always, it's not necessarily conscious for me, but I think that my, that the way that I communicate, I'm always at least subconsciously mindful of the fact that there could be somebody like my mom listening at the other end, somebody who is actually scared or actually sick and that I would never want to, um, you know, I would never want to convey false hope, like a sense of false hope, because that wouldn't be right to do with somebody who was in my mom's case, right? And so- um, That's gotta be one of the toughest things to deal with in when you're dealing with chronic. I had a family member who was really sick once, and I remember trying to read things online. There's so many, there's so much information out there that you, you, you would definitely do the false hope. Like, this is this is the cure, do this, take that. Yeah. And it's really shitty because when you're in that position, like all you want to do is believe in the in the hope. Yeah. Like when I was on Rogan, I remember there was a specific uh, section where I was talking about the ketogenic diet. And, um, you know, it's funny because I talk about, if you so much as talk about the potential benefits of a ketogenic diet in any context on social media, you're, you're labeled as a keto zealot, right, right, right. right? By like the fitness influencers and the like. And, and I have talked ad nauseum about the ketogenic diet. I've written, you know, like a significant portion of my first book, Genius Foods, was about the ketogenic diet because the ketogenic diet is incredibly relevant to neurological conditions, right? Right. Like Mm -hmm. it is a, it's a diet that unlike any other diet dramatically changes neurochemistry. And so it has to be talked about in the context of like dementia. And it's, and so anyway, I was talking about it on Rogan and I, I remember being like making a point to say this is not a cure, but if I were to have developed dementia, if I were to ever develop dementia, which is by the way, for my genes, very possible, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm genetically at risk and I have a family, you know, member that had the condition that I would in myself, I would for myself try a ketogenic diet because there is some evidence that it might provide at least short term, um, a short term improvement for, for patients. But yeah, again, very, very careful not to portray it as a cure because it's not right. But despite that, like despite that nuance that I go through great lengths to add, I still get hate from people who are like, Oh, Max is just a keto, you know, Mm. zealot or whatever, because people get these like thin slices of, of like your message on social media out of context oftentimes. And they have this like picture of you, right? Like, so yeah. What kind of kid were you growing up? Growing up? Yeah. Um, I think I was like a, a, a pretty uh, curious kid. Um, I like popular. I was popular when I was um, in elementary school, and then I went through a phase in like middle school and and high school where I felt I think really like mal maladjusted, maladapted. Did to you that. move to like a different area or something like that, or did you stay in the same area? Because that's not normal for like a kid to like fall out of popularity. Yeah. From like sixth grade. You know, what <laughs> yeah. could you have done? I kind of did. <laughs> well, <laughs> he peed himself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that could do it actually. That could do it. That sticks with you. Let me tell you. Yeah. Sorry I don't know. Off your record. I, I was just, I was really insecure. I think it's funny that you ask that because I recently, I, um, after my mom passed away, me and my brothers, we moved to uh, to LA and we brought all, you know, all of the like the family relics and heirlooms like with us. And I have like boxes of old VHS tapes from my family that my family has had for like 40 years, right? That's cool. And um, and I recently went on eBay and I bought a VCR and like a and like the whatever the tech to 
digitize like some of those tapes. So I've been going through like old family tapes. And there was like this joy that I feel like I saw in myself as a child that um, wasn't really there when I see when I saw clips of myself in like high school. Oh, you know? interesting. Yeah. And what I don't know if it? this happens to all of us, but. What, what was it? What were you insecure about at that age? Yeah. This I don't is probably know. the insecurity thing I was digging for anyways. Maybe. So. I think <laughs> I just, it? I just really, I was like a shy introverted. I couldn't like, you know, I wasn't really, I didn't like, I didn't really have many, I couldn't describe what my passions were. And, um, Jesus, who can at fucking sixth grade? Yeah. I don't know what my passions were, or what I was going to be or any of that stuff at that point. You didn't though. like shoes back then? I did actually. Okay. I just didn't think I liked anything back then. Like I couldn't, you know, I just like, I didn't have the, the tools and the, um, I wasn't very like self-aware at the time or I was, I think I was like really insecure and self-conscious. I think I was just going to say you probably, you're a thinker. So I'm assuming as a kid, you probably thought a lot. Yeah. So you probably were so self-conscious because you were thinking about, am I, am I hitting? Yeah. Okay. Did you comb your hair back Neurotic. then? Neurotic. <laughs> because you don't now. So did you comb it back then? Have <laughs> I think back then, yeah, I used to comb it back and I had braces. So I kind of looked like butthead. Uh, okay. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not kidding you. Yeah, I can see I did. right now. I did. <sighs> That's great. Braces. I literally looked like him. Um, were you like, now, in, were you in class? Were you a good student? Were you no. Like, wow. I wasn't a good student. I wasn't, oh, really? I wasn't really, I didn't, I didn't feel like I was good at anything in medical, in, mm. in medical, in, uh, in, in middle and high school. I was, um, and this is kind of like around the time where I discovered fitness and I, I really became obsessed with like the notion of bodybuilding and supplementation and all that. Stuff. And I was never a bodybuilder. I wasn't even like good at that, but I, I, um, I wasn't, I didn't really get good grades. Was school boring? It was just, I was a procrastinator. I just okay. couldn't put my mind, I couldn't like orient my mind around like schoolwork and, and studying and things like that. I just had a lot of difficulty doing that, but there was always this weird paradox because despite that, my, and my, my always very mediocre grades, my teachers always really liked me. So I don't know if it was because like, I was like, I had a bit of charisma somehow back then, or I think that I was always just very curious. Like I asked good questions, even though I couldn't like, I, I, I didn't excel like in terms of my school work. I always asked good, like my teachers could tell that I was like, that there was always like a potential. That's actually the one thing that I would hear again and again throughout childhood, despite my report cards always being really bad. My parents always getting really mad at me for that was that Max has, Max has really high potential. He just needs to like reach it. You know, do, like, would you have been diagnosed with ADD? Had you been like a young kid now, do you think? I was never formally diagnosed, but, um, but I did struggle. Like my, my middle brother was, uh, was diagnosed with like mm. 80, my bro, my middle brother had it. And so I think maybe that kind of took the focus off of me in that regard. I was always in like the gifted classes, like the honors classes, because they saw this potential in me, but my, my grades were always just, um, terrible. But I will say that like, I, you know, I always struggled to read books like, uh, in, in school. I don't think there was a single book that was assigned to me out of the dozens upon dozens of books that you have to read as a student that I ever like even got halfway through any of them. Yeah, me too. Like I just, I found a way to like, you know, cheat my way, not cheat, but like cliff notes and yeah, yeah. like to, to finagle my way out of like <clears throat> ever having to have read them. Cause I really struggled. And even today, like I don't, I don't do well with like long form. It's weird because I can write, I've written three books, but I'm, I'm just like not, I can't like, yeah. What do you do audio? 
I really, I struggle with audiobooks too. It's, mm. it's really weird. I struggle with them, you know, because here's the difference between audiobooks and podcasts for me that I think makes the difference on in audiobooks, the signal to noise ratio is like super high. So if my, if my attention wanes, even for like a second, I've like lost the plot and I have to like back up, you know what I'm saying? It's like really, it's really hard for me. Um, with audiobooks, podcasts are a lot. I get a lot from podcast conversations because it's like the signal to noise ratio is low enough where my brain can kind of like tune out for 30 seconds and then I can come back to the conversation and I really haven't missed that much. You know? Have you actually tried to speed the audiobooks up before? Uh, Which sounds, sounds hmm. like that would be the opposite of what yeah. you want. So I'm the exact same way. And the very first time we met Tom Bilyeu, he said that he listens to books at like two and a half, three speed. I'm like, that's ridiculous. And I explained to him like, oh, there's no way. I'm just like you. I get distracted really easily. He goes, no, you'll see, you'll, you'll, you'll pay more attention because it's at a faster rate. And sure as shit, I pick up more on an audio book at two and a half speed than I do at regular speed. Interesting. Because all it takes is some other noise or something like that, or I feel like I can multitask because it is kind so it of just, just forces you to focus. It does. It forces me to focus because the words are coming so fast. And That's I find weird. that I retain more at a faster speed than I do at a slower speed. Yeah. Wow. That was like one of the coolest hacks that someone's ever given me before. I'll try it. Generally, because you have to work up, by the way, like you can't go like, mm. oh, Adam said two and a half speed. You jump from regular to two and a half. You have to go like one and a half and then two and then two and a half, work your way up there and see if you notice the same thing that I did. Interesting. It yeah. blew my mind. I've, I think I've tried, it's just the signal to noise ratio with audiobooks is so high that like it gives me anxiety, you know, mm -hmm. actually I get like a little bit of that as well. But yeah, I've struggled like with like with that, which is, which is interesting because I mean, that's one of the, th that's one of the things about my books is that I try to make the, the takeaways like really, um, it's like a book where like, I, I love writing about like facts, you know, and things like that. Mm -hmm. I don't like weigh readers down with my books, like with anecdote and stories. Mm -hmm. I just want to like get to the point, you know, that's how mm -hmm. I, that's, I wish more books were like that, you know, like Jordan Peterson, I think, for example, I think he's a great speaker. Couldn't get through like really any of his 12 yeah, rules was heavy. 12 rules. Yeah. Like it's just like, get to the point. Tell, what do I need to know about lobsters? <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could have been summed up in two pages, right? Yeah. <laughs> so you said you're a bit introvert, and I I can relate to that a lot. Uh, how did you work through that? Because you're you're presenting yourself all the time on these big stages, big platforms. You're very articulate in your delivery. Like, when did you start getting good at that? And how did you do that? That's a good question. I don't. I think at at a certain point, um, at a certain point, and I don't think it was until I was in my early 20s that I, I realized that I had this like appreciation for performance. And I don't I don't know where it came from. But when looking back at my um, at these like childhood tapes, I could see that Child Max had like a, a predisposition for it. Like I, when, whenever the camera was on, I think I as a child appreciated it. And I, I kind of lost that plot. Um throughout middle, middle school and, and high school. But towards the end of college, I, once I realized that like my academic past wasn't going to bode well for, for, uh, a career in medicine, I pivoted to a double major in film and psychology in college. And so I really gravitated to, uh, storytelling. I became really interested in storytelling because I, in part, because I realized that I was creative. 
as well, that I was like a good storyteller, not necessarily that I was like an on-camera talent, but that I um, was really viscerally affected and understood like uh, movies, you know, and like storytelling devices in movies. And, and music is always something that like really got under my skin in a way that like was, I think, like unusual, like, like, like music has always resonated and film has always resonated for me in a way that like wasn't really as casual. Like I didn't, my relationship with, with media was never as casual as it was for my peers, you know? Mm. So I, I ended up double majoring in film and psychology and it landed me a job. And th this first job out of college was re where I really realized that I was comfortable in front of the camera and that I, that I also enjoyed it. I ended up uh, becoming a journalist for um, a TV network that Al Gore started in the US. Mm. And so immediately after graduating college, I was put on TV um, and that was like, I, I learned on the job there how to like- What, wow. what kind of journalism? I didn't know that about you. Yeah. What, what were you covering with the- It was sort of like MTV meets CNN. Or I mean like CNN back before I- Before it became- <laughs> before, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But that's how I would always have described it. You know, it was like, it was- uh, So what kind of projects like, like would they put you on? Who would you- Yeah, I would talk. talk it, was like an, it was like a news and information network for young people. So whatever like younger people were talking about, like at the time, whether it was like technology or- Oh, interesting. Or politics or fashion or religion or whatever the fuck, you know, it was just like a, a smorgasbord of like ideas. We actually used to call it like a tapas bar of ideas. That was like what the network aspired to be. And so I would pop in and out on the network 24 hours a day, like as one of the main hosts and journalists of the network talking about like whatever, ultimately like whatever I wanted. It was a dream job. I, I didn't get paid a lot. It didn't make me famous or anything. Do you have and a bunch of old clips stored away somewhere? I do, yeah, yeah. Oh, you have to share that with Andrew. Yeah, I want to yeah, yeah, yeah. share those. That would yeah, be great yeah. to, to share those on the Baby show. face. Yeah. <laughs> it was so fun. Um, but yeah, that's where I kind of learned that I, I enjoyed like, you know, and, and, and I think excelled at like, you know, mm. communication. Did you, did you start when you started working out, did, was it cause you got bullied or because you felt insecure, like a lot of people, or were you just, did you just get into it? It wasn't, I, I never was bullied thankfully, um, ever, which was, uh, I think a, a great thing. I'm very grateful for that. I got into it. I was, um, I was really into like superheroes when I was in, in, uh, in high school. Um, and, uh, and I wasn't, one. and I wasn't an athlete, but I wanted yeah, who, to, yeah. Who's your favorite superhero? I was like a big, you can't just breeze through this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was yeah. <laughs> Justin's now awake. Yeah, dude. <laughs> Sorry. I was like asleep. Now I'm, I'm here. Dude. Well, I was a big Wolverine. I, was, I, I loved Wolverine. Yeah. Okay. He was probably my favorite. Yeah. Um, big X-Men fan, but I also really liked some of the, I wasn't like, I was a much bigger Marvel fan. I collected all the Marvel Masterpieces cards. I had like all the, all the comics, all the X-Men cards and everything. But like, uh, I did love Superman and Batman okay. and Robin. I really liked Robin. What? Wow. Yeah, nobody really likes Robin. Robin. Wow. Yeah, nobody <laughs> likes Robin. I really liked Robin. Why? <laughs> For some reason. I don't know. At least you didn't say Aquaman. <laughs> no. <laughs> I really liked Robin. I don't know. I don't know why. I think it was just like, he was like the underdog. He was like the little, like a uh, protege that. I, just like, I like that. That's funny. Yeah. Who who do you think out of the three of us you would most likely have been friends with in oh, high school? Come on. <laughs> Duh. I feel like. Yeah, yeah. We have a lot in common. Yeah. As as you're talking and talking about your experience in school, it's like identical. Yeah. It's really weird. Yeah, it's hard for me not to jump in. <laughs> it was the same. Story. It was the same. I because I love look, I, you and I both have a passion for learning, but yeah. in school it was like I wanted to pull my hair out. It was so like boring and just, well, and I, you know, same thing, procrastinating. I think just neurodivergent. I, I don't know if you've ever looked into Definitely. neurodivergence, but that's probably part of it where, you know, obviously you like learning, but putting you in a traditional setting is very challenging for you. But you learn it. Like I learned, the best I learned is if I 
read something and then talk about it. Then yeah. I'll learn the hell out of it. Yes. If I could talk about it. Yeah. There's that saying, the best way to learn is to teach. Yeah. And that I like completely like underscore that with my own personal experience. Like I, I, I learn and then I teach. And one of the, actually one of the ways that I learn is I, I read something and then I like write about it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a great way to learn yeah. in discussion and debate is my favorite, which gets my, my family members get annoyed by it, but yeah, I love it. You know, that kind of stuff. Have you seen some of the insecurities that you had as a kid? Um, play into favor for you as you've gotten older, like that have helped you or that made you really good at something because it was such a deeply rooted insecurity. Can huh. you connect any of that? Yeah. Interesting. Um, well, I think that part of the whole, like not doing great in school thing, mm. you always kind of have this insecurity or this, like this, like inner sort of monologue of like, am I smart? You know, like, am I a smart person? Like, am I competent? And, um, and I feel like I, you know, most of the time I feel pretty smart, but then sometimes I feel like an idiot. And, uh, and I feel like that sort of like balance of like always trying to like get better at what it is that I do and, and be more competent and, and, and better able to, to synthesize, aggregate, understand, synthesize ideas. Like that, that's something that, that definitely, yeah, does propel me. I think, I think you share that in common with Sal and I, for sure. Right. So we didn't finish school. And I think that's something when you don't finish school and then you get in a position where you're teaching and helping others, I think that's always kind of in the back of yeah. your mind. Like, am I smart enough? I didn't get over that for a long time. Yeah. Like on my, on my podcast, I'll tell you if I, um, if I ask a question or something that, where I fumble and I just don't have a clear, because sometimes that happens to me, whether it's like I, I, you know, my mind goes somewhere else over the course of a recording, which, you know, it gets rarer and rarer as I get better and better at the art and science of podcasting, which like you guys know, like you get better over time. But if there's a, if there's a, mo a moment where I stumble and ask a question that's not very clear, I feel like an idiot. Like I actually feel like I'm like a moron in that, oh, in that wow. moment. Yeah. Like it, it, like it affects me and I, it takes a lot of, work for me not to want to go back and edit that and retape like yeah, yeah. the question and, and, and ask it more clearly. Do you have you a know? standout moment that you, which one do you recall? No, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I think early, early on in the recording of the podcast, I did do a little bit of editing and now I don't do any, because for me, it's like, I want to be fucking like as authentic as, as humanly possible, you yeah. know? And, uh, I just pretend like I'm coughing. You just you're coughing. <laughs> that is your move. Hey, yeah. hey, hold on. That actually happened. Yeah. I mean, we, where was were it? we when that happened? That was uh, uh, Luke's story down in LA. He was we, interviewing when first, us when we first started. Adam lost his train of thought. So yeah. he's, he's going on and he lost his train of thought. And so he starts coughing, Gee. coughing. And so I just jumped in, right? Yeah. And I just took over whatever. And then afterwards, Adam's like, hey, I really wasn't coughing because I, didn't, I forgot what I was going to say. You guys are so lucky it's that really, uh, <laughs> I, I wish I would you. think of that because, yeah. yeah, I'll just freeze. I'm like, ah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fuck. I forget. Adam and I would just be quiet. Yeah. Yeah. Just let him yeah. Yeah. They just let me sit in it. I appreciate that, you guys. Yeah. Leave me That's hanging out here. You're Were funny. You? You're funny. When you, the first time, you, I'll never forget the time that we got Justin uh, high oh, at the no. other studio, and he thought we were making fun of him. And he got during so, the show. Yeah, during yeah. the show. We're like, we're recording. It was very defensive. It was a great episode, and we're going back and forth. And like, we were, Sal and I were having a good time laughing, and Justin. Thought we were like laughing. He just like pushes his mic away, he throws the mic oh, out. You guys, fuck and he walks out. Out. <laughs> out of here, stomps out of the studio <laughs> no. like mid recording. We're like, oh shit, like 
pacing up and down the the main street. When was this? Oh, this, this was like out, oh, this was like the previous studio. Yeah. yeah, this is early. Oh, like this is early days on, yeah. when yeah. when Doug used to Must let us get high before. We no, no. Yeah. So hey, so were you? How were you with the girls in high school and middle school? Because now you're like Mr. Eligible, super eligible bachelor and all that Jeez. stuff. And we'll get to that. But when you were in high school, junior high, were you popular with the girls, or because you were shy, were you not? Super popular. I had a lot of female friends, but um, I didn't get like uh, the sort of attention that I like wanted. I was like a frustrated, you know, like like I, I gr- girls. I think were like I was in the I was in the friend group, but I was like in the friend zone for like all the girls that I, you know, that I that I fancied. How old were you when you lost your virginity? Eighteen. Oh, okay. Awesome. Yeah. 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 Freshman year of. Uh, That's younger than Adam. Well, it is younger than me. It was either freshman or the quick answer. No, it was freshman year of college. I I, I can't remember if it was like first or second semester, but yeah. Um, But no, like girls were like nice. I wasn't like, you know, like an outcast or anything like that. Like girl, I I had like a a group of friends, you know, many of whom were, were girls, but I was just like frustrated, you know, like, I don't think girls were like, I didn't, I didn't feel like girls were attracted to me in, in high school until like maybe the very end. Maybe do your hair. (laughs) Well, I did. (laughs) No, like, his look, hair. Dude. What's wrong with his come hair? Well, I mean, he's handsome as fuck, so he can no, do that. Yes. You know, say he can still come in, but I always tease him that it's he looks style, like he bro. literally just rolled out of bed and just, love it. just rock it. Okay, so now, so now it's obviously. called uncombable hair syndrome. That's it, actually a real. thing. I mean, I'm just jealous. That is, real, that is a real thing. Let's be honest. Did, did you guys know that? Sounds what? made up to me. No, it's not. What <laughs> no, did you just say? There's a real syndrome called uncombable hair syndrome, and it's like this. I swear to God, Doug can put it up on the on the screen. It's real. And these kids have fine out of people. Some moose, the hair the hair. no, they have crazy <laughs> hair, and you can't do shit with it. And there's something to do with the keratin or the hair where that's it. Like you can do whatever you want. You wet <laughs> it. You do whatever I you want it. with it. It's fake news. No, no, Doug's gonna pull it up because it's a real. <laughs> is it a thing, that. Doug? It is a thing. Pull up the picture, Doug, because the TV's not showing it. I don't think Max has this though. No, he has fantastic hair. Change, put the screen up because you guys. I didn't even know this was a thing. This is a real. I feel like there's a syndrome for everything now. No, no. Okay, look at that. Yeah. That's just poof. That's so rad though. Look at that. I'm so gonna make a meme with one of those little kids' faces. It seems only affect blondes. Yeah. Look at that. Oh, is that true? I don't know. All the pictures are. You know what's weird? They're full of static electricity. You know what's weird? You're the perfect person asked this the things that make you cool and attractive as an adult man make you dorky nerdy not attractive when you're in high school or middle school you know what i'm saying yeah like like what's up with like like some of the stuff that you that maybe girls don't like or find attractive about you before now probably is way different like your communication skills and well, yeah, it is weird. All the all the like the best looking kids in high school that seemingly had it all put together were the athletes. A mess now. A mess, yeah. yeah. And and beer bellies, like yeah. because I think you I think you take for granted that you peaked. Is, yeah, <laughs> you peaked your senior year in high school. You know, you peaked. Yeah, I I think in life you take for granted that which is easily obtained. So the kids that that seemingly had it all in high school, they're the ones that were the the first to let it go. You know, whereas I feel like I've always had to work for, you know, whether it's like to appear as though I am somewhat stylish or to um, to have a nice body, you know, body that I feel confident in. I've had to work for it. Like I've, I've had to dedicate myself to learning about like, you know, the value of protein and lifting weights and hanging out with people like you who inspire mm-hmm. me to, you know, to that one day I'll have even like an eighth of the, you know, <laughs> the, the muscularity, the, you know, that you guys have, you know, it's mm-hmm. like. 
So I'm just absorbing all this. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me more. Tell me more. (laughs) But that's it. It's like, um, it's like you have to, you have to work for it. And then I think, um, that gives you a certain level of grit in life that then has a spillover effect into other areas, whether it's like your, your work life or your relationship life. You just, you, you, you covet that, which is, you know, attained. It's interesting you say that because I said on the show the other day that was kind of controversial about this idea that, having all the money, having all the opportunity, having that we assume that that's a place of privilege. I mean, and depends. It, and it, it really does yeah, because when I look back at the, all the, the challenge, and by the way, I went through my phase of feeling sorry for myself, that the challenges and struggles that I, we had growing up, but I look back now and I actually, as when I look at my friends in high school and stuff like that, and I l- look at all the things they had, all the opportunity, all the privilege they had versus what I had now, I actually think that I that was an advantage for me to have experienced that at such a young age because it built so much character in me early on that has served me later on in life. And that this idea of, you know, having all the money, having all the opportunity is this great place of privilege, I think is such a, a backwards way to to look at it. And is it necessarily true that, because I used to think that like, oh man, if I just, if my parents had as much money as my friend or they could have paid for college, I would have went to some, you know, four-year degree and I would have had this and I would have done that. And then when I look back, I'm like. So it's so weird. I just literally, this quote, I just sent this to my son this morning. It's it's about, it's Marcus Aurelius, Stoic philosopher. And it says, love the hand that fate deals you and play it as your own. I think that's the difference, right? Because you can be in whatever situation, it's all about what you do with it. Mm. And I think, Oftentimes when people have a lot of things that are easy, they, 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 they don't, they're not able to use those opportunities or those, whatever you want to call them, potential advantages. Don't maximize if anything, it. it might make them lazy or it might make them. Well, yeah, it's like a muscle. If you don't, tough, if you, you get know? everything and you don't have to work it out, yeah. you don't have to develop it. You don't have that strength in life. Like real life hits you as an adult. And you're so weak in that area because you didn't have to face any adversity where I felt like I built all this resiliency as a kid, not even realizing that I am, that when life hit me as an adult, those problems didn't seem that big to me because of the stuff that I had gone through. And I think now that that was a massive advantage that I, to the point that the biggest argument and struggle that uh, I have with my wife is how much adversity do we want to uh, manufacture for my son? Because he's going to grow up in a total different lifestyle than what I grew up in. And I value that. And so how do I, um, you know, how do I raise him from a place of privilege and then also find a way to manufacture this adversity so he gets the benefits of building that resiliency through childhood and adulthood. I think about it all the time. Just steal a shit every once in a while. <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah. just throw, throw toys his away food. randomly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's no food this week. Isn't that weird? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> what yeah, are you, you know, talking about kids and what, I mean, um, do you, do you think that you have any insecurities around fatherhood or relationships or marriage or anything that? You, you just got a niece, right? Niece? Yeah. So, so that's kind of a taste of what, a little bit, right? Of what it, it would is, be yeah. like to have kids. Do you want it? Do you desire it? Why? Do you, I mean, I I know you get plenty of opportunity. So <laughs> what what I, keeps you from going that way? I do want it, but I've I've struggled for a long time with like relationship stuff, and I, I you be know, more it, specific. What do you mean by that? Oh man, well, are you I, terrible um, in the bedroom, or you <laughs> don't you don't pick up your clothes? You forget to no, brush your teeth? Like, no, what? I. I mean, I've had like lots and lots of great relationships with, with women, but I, 
I feel I've I've been in like therapy for the past like year and a half. I actually I recently stopped going because I feel like I she she told me that I've like really done great and that it's time to take a break, which is something that's really nice to hear from a therapist. You know, it's like <laughs> she's like she's not talk to you anymore. <laughs> she, yeah, she quit me. She's she's like, I'm, doing I've told clients that before. And <laughs> hey, we're done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you everything. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Sketchy a month from now. Uh, bro, you're gonna make him hell insecure about no, that. <laughs> well, no, she said because she said that I accomplished, I achieved, uh, you know, a lot of the goals that I sought her out to 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 accomplish. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, one of that was like to try to figure out like my relationship ship. And, um, you know, so one of the things that I've, that I've realized, uh, is that we all kind of have trauma, which is not something that I would have realized pre therapy, you know, because I, to me, trauma has always been like big T trauma. You're sexually assaulted or, or something right, at some right, point right. in your life. I've, I had like the most wonderful childhood. Like my parents were, were great in many ways. They were just amazing parents. But, um, but we're all traumatized by something, mm-hmm. by something. It's like, you know, a baby who doesn't get picked up at the right time when they're crying out for their mom or their dad, like that traumatizes them in a way That's that, life. that life creates like a butterfly mm-hmm. effect, you know, like pain, pain is an, an inevitable aspect of life. And so for me, you guys know that I've always been like incredibly close with my mom. My mom was the most important person in my life and she motivated me to do what it is that I'm doing, you know, like in, in hopes of helping her when she was, when she was ill. But um, emotionally, like growing up, she probably leaned on me a little bit too much because her marriage, she was an amazing mom. My dad was an amazing dad, but the marriage was never really that good. And so my mom, uh, basically like what it, what's called, it's like an, it's called enmeshment. And there's a, there's a kind of scary term for it, which, um, you know, has nothing to do with like physicality or anything, but it's called covert incest essentially. Mm-hmm when a parent makes you their surrogate partner. So like emotionally, my mom would like talk to me as if I was like her best friend, yeah. unloading all the shit that my dad was putting her through when I was a, when I was a child. Wow. And, um, well, that, that, that definitely will make you grow up real fast. Yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, I'm the oldest child in the family. I've, I've like, I'm close with my mom. So I do have this, like, there's this thing where I'm like, kind of like the, uh, a maternal figure to my brothers. And it's like been, kind of great with like the, the, the niece now, but it's, a, it's affected my relationships negatively. And it's really one relationship in particular. I was like on and off with this one girl for a very long time who I loved, but I couldn't like commit with, commit to. And the whole thing with this like enmeshment, it creates like avoidant attachment and you essentially have this like bond with your mother. What's, what's avoidant attachment? Oh, that seems like Avoidant attachment. Well, there's like, I'm not definitely not an expert in this, but um, there's like different kinds of attachment. You have like anxious attachment, avoidant attachment, and it, it just kind of creates, it's like, it's explain a, it to me. Yeah. It's like you, um, in, in relationship, you kind of are like the more avoidant person. Like you're the one who like, doesn't want to commit, doesn't kind of aloof. Commit, aloof. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Okay. And then the anxious one is the one who like is more neurotic and is the one that's okay, like, okay. do you pers- love me? Do you like me? Do you- yeah. Yeah. All that stuff. So, so tell me what are some like, uh, common things that you you fuck up in the relationship then like you just, cause you don't care. The girls say you don't care enough or you act like, yeah, you- pretty much like yeah. the minute that I historically, and this is starting to change, um, thankfully with awareness about the, uh, you know, of the, of the, of the, the, the root cause, but it's like historically, whenever I would start to get the sense that a girl liked me, that's when I would retract. I would like pull back and I'd be like, Oh shit, you know, this person likes me. And then I would like be like unresponsive via text for four days, oh, Wow, you know? And, um, Just and dick. yeah, 
it just it creates this like this this uh, boundary, you know. You know. Okay. So does this? So because someone might listen and say, "Well, you haven't met the right person," but maybe this. Do you think this is preventing you from meeting the right person? In other words, I wonder if this would make you more attracted to a girl who plays the same game. That's or, what I was going to ask you. You know what I mean? Where she does the yeah. same thing, pulls back, so then you reach forward, she pulls, then you pull back, and you know. Well, what it does is it is it typically um, will make me attracted to girls who are not the best for me and it makes girls who are not the best for me attracted to me. Mm. And so it's led to no shortage of like dating opportunities. In my so what life. does that look like? Are those girls that like don't kind of don't give a shit and they're not really, ch- or do you attract to ones that are like totally chasing they're, after you? They're typically historically for me, the girls that have undealt with trauma in their past, oh. usually like the, the daddy issues and things oh, like that, oh, you know, yeah. which firework relationship. You know huh? Yeah. Yeah. That's and so be a good so, reality show to follow you around. Yeah. No, it's crazy. Yeah. It's like this crazy thing how we're all sort of like puzzle pieces, you know, and like we find the ones that are our counterpart through the through the ether. You Craziest know? thing that's happened to you in a relationship. Oh man. You definitely attracted some crazies. I know well, yeah. for sure. So I found out that one of the more recent girls that I dated, but like had a more significant um uh relationship with was a was a madam. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> and you didn't know? Yeah, I didn't know. I That's know, awesome. I had no wow. How did that idea. unfold? I had no idea. Um, well, we were, not, like, to, you we were not together when I found out. I knew that. She, I knew oh, okay. intuitively that she wasn't the right person for me. Um, what were the what were the oh, signs God, that she know. was not the right person? Uh, <laughs> like, I just because I can't imagine Matt like okay. way too many text messages. Yeah, <laughs> it was just a. It was just like a. It was just like a feeling. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there were some obvious like red flags, but um. But, you know, for me, they, they, you know, maybe there were red flags that were in the moment kind of exciting. Mm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but that's a, that's a good example of like, you don't become a madam unless you have like trauma. Some might describe as daddy issues. I don't actually know what hers, yeah. we didn't, you know, we hadn't dated for yeah, that yeah. long, but, um, but, <clears throat> but that made her very attracted to me because I was very avoidant with her. Right. And so we had a very significant or at least relative to my other relationships period where we were dating. And it was like actually really fun for me because I got to do like I got to put in zero percent effort and it only made me it only made her more attracted to me. Yeah. And that's the kind of cycle in my own life that I want to break. Right. You know, like I'm aware of it and uh, and I've tried I'm working really hard to like to break it. But, you know, the biggest. um, uh and most painful aspect of it for me was that for many, many years I was on and off with a girl who, you know, we, in many ways we weren't right for one another. So there's like the confounding variable there and we drug each other through youth, you know, like the hormones and the, and the drinking and all the things that you do when you're a a young idiot. Like, like I, you know, despite how it may seem now, I mean, I'm granted I'm still an idiot, but like was definitely went through that phase where like, you know, my twenties, I was like going out a lot and whatever. and, And I had this girl in my life who, um, and she was doing the same, but we loved each other and I just couldn't, you know, we couldn't, she had a lot of trauma that was undealt with. I obviously didn't know it at the time, but like I had trauma that was undealt with. And and now this person's like, you know, pr- probably for the better, but like is out of my life. And it's like a, it's like a thing that um, it's always like going to be there as like a reminder, you know, yeah. or at least like a question, Wait, not necessarily a reminder, but like a question. Like what if, what if you could have like, where are you meeting the, some of these girls you're dating? Are you using like dating apps and TikTok? stuff? TikTok. TikTok. No. No. Jeez. Dude, the TikTok algorithm. That's where Doug gets his dates. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> Big TikTok guy. They're good dancers. Yeah. I hate. 
I fucking so hate TikTok good, really precisely good. because it has me so figured out at this point. Oh, when you go through your when <laughs> yeah. you go through your feed? Yeah. It's just the the algorithms are so smart and uh and it's the worst. It's like the worst thing. It's, <laughs> it's a reflection thing. of this the worst thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the shadow. It's like it's amazing. It's how like it, you want to see your shadow, go to the for you page. I think that's actually one of the things I find most fascinating about social media is, is how aware I am of the addictive properties, and yet it still can get you. Is that like I know that? I mean, I think I was talking about the book Irresistible, you know, long before anybody else was in the podcast, and it, it read a iGen after yeah. that, read Unplugged after that. So like, and I was so staunch about not getting sucked into social media, but yet it could still. It's, it still gets me. It still will. I'll still get caught up in it and find myself. Oh my God. I literally just wasted an hour and a half of my day doing really nothing. Yeah. It's terrible. I think TikTok is, you're not, is you're, the best. Of that. You're not really meeting girls through social media. Um, it like it occasionally is useful, but I no. it's sort of like a mix of like meeting people in, per, I, I, I prefer meeting people in person. Um, but I'll use like, you know, there's like a dating app that I'll occasionally waste time on. Um, Instagram is like, you know, I mean, if you, you got to use whatever's available these mm. days. Like I'm not like a Luddite, you know, like I, <laughs> like if, if, the, if it present, if like, if the tools are there, I'll use them. But, um, but yeah, I also don't like, it's not like a big, you know, I don't like spend, I don't focus too much on it. You mm. know, I'm like, I've got other, who is it? Like Aristotle said that the into the intellectual is somebody who's found something more interesting than sex. Like, mm. like, uh, like dating is you know important to me but um but i'm i i tend to be pretty wrapped up in my own world of like you know doing my thing like you know like the podcast which i, I derive so much joy from you know writing my books like all the other things in my life like i feel like i have a pretty rich life and so i don't feel like i'm wanting for anything but it would be nice to like yeah, I don't know. Well, let me hear about your your niece cuz i remember you were so excited well, last time i saw you yeah. i think she had either just been born or was about to be born, I think. Last time I saw you. Yeah, probably just about to be you born. You were super hyped yeah. about it. So what's that? Because I, I, when I, you know, just knowing you, I, I think you, you're probably, you're going to make a great dad one day, a great uncle or whatever. You were so excited about it. So what's that like? You're close with your brothers, so you see. Yeah, super close. You see yeah. them all the time or. Yeah, my family is super, super close. I credit that to my mom who, who made sure that me and my brothers were best friends and we are. Um, yeah, my, my youngest brother. Partially because he's my youngest brother, you know, and I'm the oldest and I have like, and I'm also like, obviously health is kind of relevant to where, you know, they are with the baby. Um, I, I've taken a, a, a fairly active role. I mean, they're still the parents, but like her name is Kayla Moon and she's just like the cutest little baby. She's named directly after my mom. Mm. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, she's like adorable. She's like this, uh, her nickname is Mrs. Baby. We just call her, we don't even call her by her name. We just call her Mrs. Baby. <laughs> Yeah. Wow, and it's the two uncles, right? You and your other brother. Me and my other brother. Is yeah. this the only? Is this the first grandchild? Or yeah, grandchild? yeah. First, oh my gosh! First so it's baby, little girl, three dad, two uncles, grandpa. Yeah, spoiled. Yeah, totally spoiled. And the only girl, like the only girl. That's what I said. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's amazing. She's so cute. Learning all about like the differences in the different formula types mm. and like all this stuff. It's crazy. That's awesome. How, do you, uh, do you, we were talking about social media earlier and I, whenever we bring that up, I just think about how, in, like how much more, I don't know if it's more important. I think it's always been important, <clears throat> but how much discipline plays a role in, I guess, leading a, a, a good life, you know, not the, not 
it's not so much can I get things, but rather can I prevent, can I keep things away or can I stay focused here or not indulge in all these different potential avenues or whatever. Do you find, do you structure your life around those types of things? I know you work out. I know you try to eat right. Do you do that with other things as well where you try to maintain a certain level of discipline? Discipline? Um, I, I think the other thing in my life that I'm, I've been pretty disciplined about has been like music, music practice, which is, uh, something that, that I love to do. And I love the process and the journey. It's not something that I, I aspire to do professionally, but, um, playing guitar and like singing and, 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 and occasionally even songwriting, um, which I've done in the past, but not so much anymore. But yeah, like, uh, I really enjoy like that, like playing music, which is also incidentally really good for the brain. Um, but, uh, is it, it's one of the things that lights up the whole brain, right? More than almost anything else. Yeah. Because it's just, it draws on so many different cognitive domains, you know, it's like hand-eye coordination, proprioception, um, you know, the emotional cortex is engaged when you're like, you know, really in, in that sort of flow state. So yeah, I really, I really like it. I dedicate it. I think a fair amount of time to aside, like outside of my fitness, it's probably the, the, the next in line thing that I, that I dedicate. Do you do it to. on a schedule? Were you playing practice? Or I used to, I was time? taking, I was taking weekly like voice singing lessons for a while for the first time, which, you know, I've been doing it for, a, for, I've been like singing for a long time, but like, um, or like a relatively long time. But then I, during the pandemic decided to take like remote lessons, which by the way, I think are, it could be, it should be something that like more people consider doing. I think people have this like sort of binary view of what it means to be musical, but singing is like a physiologic like phenomena, like, like anybody can sing. Not everybody's going to have like a tone well, that they necessarily that. like. <laughs> I, I, I don't give them hope. <laughs> yeah, the same that. way that like you can increase your balance. You know, I think like people can learn to, can learn to not necessarily become a great singer, but like, like everybody they threw can me at a church, bro. I can't even go to church. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not bad. dude. Everybody can well. play basketball, but not everybody's gonna be good at it. Basically. It's the same thing. You gotta use a sports yeah. analogy. Yeah. yeah. A sports <laughs> analogy. Oh, now for Adam to get it. Yeah, no, analogy. just because every once in a while, I, I say, the other day we were doing a podcast and there was notes on Tom Brady that he was going to bring up, but I brought it up on purpose. It was like, I knew what the hell was, I was talking about. It's a good time. How much, how much has your, um, life changed? since the success from the book. So have, especially, uh, well, you know, with money, like have you, as you start to come into money, how much has your life changed and what's your relationship with money? Like, man, well, I'm interested in, uh, I, I think I'm, I'm interested in money, but I'm not particularly skilled at, um, like understanding, like the more esoteric financial concepts, but I like having money because it's like energy that I can then use to help support things that I either like or care about, you know, whether it's like products, like I know you guys do like a lot of like investing into different like CPG better for you, CPG products. So I've been really enjoying doing that. Um, but yeah, it's been, I'm, I'm very grateful that I'm, that I get to do what it is and focus on the topic that I, that I most care about for, uh, for a living. It's been, you know, do, I think you, I think you were in magic. Spoon. Are you in more than just one company? How many companies are you invested in right now? Yeah. I've magic spoon was my first. Um, so mad we missed that boat. Yeah. That's, that was a, that's a good one. Um, <laughs> I mean, no, I don't know. It's like, we haven't, there, there hasn't been like a, well, they haven't sold they, it or anything. No, they haven't no, sold it, but, but the, the valuation came out. Like, uh, mm. I talked about on the show, like six, seven months ago. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's they'll, get, they'll get bought out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what else? 
I God, now I'm drawing a blank. Oh, Element. Oh, okay. Yeah, you too. Yeah. Not. I love that stuff. Also, I recently found out that I have like occasional migraines and I find that. Wait, totally, how do you mean you just found out? Well, I used to think that like people get headaches. Like I didn't oh. think that like a headache was necessarily a migraine, but I, um, you know, maybe like once every other month or so I would get like this, like very specific headache that, that would begin upon waking and wouldn't go away until I went to bed until like I, you know, went to sleep. And let me guess the sodium. Sodium, sodium helped it. Dude, there's very interesting research on sodium 100%. And migraines. Yep. Yeah. Actually, there's a lot of really interesting. I've been diving into the migraine research and mm -hmm. it's super interesting. People who have like higher sodium diets tend to experience fewer migraines. Yep. Um, My wife gets uh, like debilitating, like almost like cluster headache type migraines wow. where you want to pull your hair out. So I like dive, you know, I've been diving deep into reading about that now for the past maybe five years. And I was fascinated sodium. There's also a CNS component where for some reason you get this crazy vasodilation in the, in the brain causing these throbbing headaches. So, you know, things that can do be like almost like vasoconstrictors or maybe in that category, like caffeine can help mm -hmm. really interesting. It, it's a weird, uh, um, I guess, medical condition because they really don't know how to treat. Did you know with cluster headaches, if people take psilocybin once a month, they won't get them anymore. I maybe I saw that from you or something. Weird. I, yeah. There was a, a really good randomized control trial looking at um, the impact of industrial seed oils on migraines. I don't want to open that wormhole unless you guys want to go there because I know it's controversial. But um but it was a, a it's actually one of the one of the better um studies to reference in this conversation about like okay, are seed oils good for us or are they not so good for us? Did you see this this RCT? I did not. I'll send it to you. So basically what they did was they took three groups of people with chronic migraine, right? And first group was on the state on the control diet. Second group, they gave about a gram and a half of omega-3s a day, which is well-known omega-3s can resolve the inflammatory cascade. Right. So broadly anti-inflammatory. And then the third group, they gave omega-3s the same dose, but they also told them to dramatically cut their intake of grain and seed oils industrial grain and seed oils. And what they found was that the uh, group that both took the omega-3 supplement and cut their uh, ingestion of grain and seed oils saw double the magnitude of the effect that just the omega-3 group saw. Wow. Yeah. And they controlled for fat intake. So this wasn't just that they were consuming fewer calories, right? Because they were told to avoid these grain and seed oils, they supplemented they it replaced with like, them. they replaced the fats. Yeah. And so it's not just the anti-inflammatory effect of these omega-3 fats. They saw, and you know, this is relevant because migraines are a neuroinflammatory mm -hmm. event, right? And so I've been arguing this whole time that we don't know the effect of chronic, you know, consumption of these oils, what, what that effect is having on our, on our cognitive health. And, you know, brain health is something that like, when we say brain health in quotes, like this is something that takes decades to manifest as like a condition, right? But migraines are more acute. And so I thought this study was was actually, I think this study is super solid advice. Is, or is, not advice, uh, evidence. Is the, the, the reason why, like when people finally show symptoms of cognitive decline, is it because, because I've read this as well, that, that it probably started decades earlier or a decade earlier, right? But then the symptoms didn't become kind of evident until like 10, 15, 20 years later. Is it because of the brain's ability to compensate? So you're getting, you're, you're having damage or whatever, 
but your brain's ability to compensate makes it so that you don't really have these really over symptoms until it just gets overwhelmed. Is that what's probably happening? Yeah, that's part of it, that you have what's called the cognitive reserve. That's why it's thought that playing, learning to play a musical instrument, learning another language, staying engaged socially, that these help to strength, strengthen and support the cognitive reserve so that you know you have this a greater degree of, of resilience. But then also, you know, with conditions like Alzheimer's disease, for example, there is this sort of inflammatory effect that's, that's apparent. And it's thought that that inflammation wrought by any probably any number of of stimuli then causes this over uh, aggregation of amyloid plaque and the tau proteins that 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 clump and misfold and that that sort of begins to create this like self-perpetuating thing where the amyloid then becomes toxic mm. it's not that the amyloid was initially toxic but that it builds and that it starts to gum up the works and, and yeah that's right we talked about this it was a, it's a symptom rather than the yeah. kind of root cause yeah but there's probably probably a bunch, a bunch of different things. You want to build your cognitive reserve. You want to you know strengthen your you know neuroplasticity. All these other things I think all can all can play a, a role. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, and I wonder how migraines tied to all that. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's like um, they're they're related. I mean, they're is there a, con a, co a correlation or or is there any connection between migraines and cognitive chronic cognitive decline? Not that I'm aware of. Okay. It, it might be out there, but I don't I don't know. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Is that the most recent like cool thing study that you come across that you're into? Yeah, that I thought was pretty cool. I mean, definitely because it, it seemed like a, a pretty well controlled, a well-designed study. You know, they found that the people who were in that group of not just having taken the omega-3s, but the, the concurrent reduction in seed oil intake, which is like basically like linoleic acid, they cut their ingestion of linoleic acid. They um they got by on way fewer uh, drugs. You know they had to take less NSAIDs, like like fewer. Like they were popping less ibuprofen. Um, and I just thought that was super interesting because the argument that you sometimes get is that seed oils are fine, they're benign. It's just we we tend to underconsume omega threes. But this study examined that. Right. And like, said no income. Yeah, you both make yeah. a big difference. Yeah, not just because the one. because the brain. Like fats affect the brain and it's not just any fats that affect the brain. It's like these polyunsaturated fats that, that are given sort of like free reign access to the brain. Right. Yeah. And so when we consume these easily, first of all, it's not even necessarily that the oils are easily oxidized. We're consuming about three to four times more um, linoleic acid, which is an omega-6 fat than we did at the turn of the last century. Right. But, um, uh, but but then you also have to counter in like you have to add in like context right we're consuming them from these like you know these after they after they're derived we derive them from these industrial processes that damage the oils we're consuming them in the in the, in the context of a low antioxidant diet right like antioxidants are usually found in whole foods where these fats are found to protect those fats but we tend to underconsume those today and then that's just like one part of the larger exposome, which I think is a, a cool way to think about this, like the, just the sum total of exposures that we have on a daily basis that are also like affecting the brain. Oh. So that's interesting. That's interesting. Uh, uh, I never considered that, that um, consuming, I guess, I don't know, pro-inflammatory or pro-oxidant compounds um, with antioxidants that would be maybe present naturally balances it out. But because we take these 
oils out and remove all those other potential antioxidants, now we're just getting this kind of pro-inflammatory, pro-oxidant yeah. qualities. Wherever you find polyunsaturated fats in, and polyunsaturated fats in whole foods, <clears throat> totally fine. And I also don't think that, like, I think, you know, it should be said that I don't think that seed oils are the smoking gun for all of our problems. Like, I think a lot of people on social media will suggest that. I'm not saying that, but I do think that we need to be a little bit more um, critical of this, particularly because in nature, wherever you see polyunsaturated fats, you see a proportional amount of vitamin E, which is like oh. there in nature to protect these fats from oxidation. So, and which is just, by the way, one of the antioxidants found in the whole food matrix, right? When we extract these fats from the whole food matrix, we ingest them after they've been, you know, exposed to oxygen, to heat, to all these, you know, oxidation catalyzing processes. And the milieu in which these fats are being consumed now more so than ever before, we tend to underconsume antioxidants such as vitamin E, which is like literally one of its roles in the body is to prevent fats from oxidizing. It's to prevent lipid peroxidation. 90% of Americans don't consume adequate amounts of vitamin E. And at, the more PUFAs, polyunsaturated fats you consume, the higher your need for vitamin E gets. And we tend to underconsume that among other I have an analogy know, that's kind of interesting. You typically don't, for example, sugar in nature is almost, almost always in combination with like fiber, right? Like if you yeah. eat fruit, very different effect than if you drink fruit juice. Like if I drank a glass of apple juice, you would see very different effects on my body than if I ate you know, the three apples that it took to make that glass of, of apple juice. So it's really interesting. You know, we evolved with things being in combination. When we separate them, you tend to see uh, challenges. Yeah. I mean, I used to be, you know, if you would have asked me like five years ago, like what I think is the most pressing problem, I would have probably said something like we're consuming like too many carbohydrates or something like that. Mm. But now I think my, my view has shifted and I, I, I really think that it's the preponderance of ultra processed foods, like primarily yeah. in the, in the standard American diet. It's, and it's like these, and it's these other compounds that we're now told to just like ingest blindly, like the grain and seed oils, which are again, these like ultra processed food, like substances that are extracted from the whole food matrix. And I just don't think that's worked for us like in didn't the we, past and I didn't yeah. we look up on the show the other day of like what that was originally what they were originally made for like for engines or something like lubricants for engines oh, or whatever you mean the oils these yeah. oils Is yeah they true? were yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. like used for like lubricants for like engines right yeah if not if not just flat out waste products like which was the case with grapeseed oil Mm, which yeah. was like a, which is now essentially a byproduct of the of the winemaking. Yeah, industry. I think uh, I, I think you can all you can connect all of most of it to heavily ultra processed foods because one they make you overconsume. That's a big deal, right? You overconsume even a healthy diet, and you start to see a lot of problems. But then two, I mean, in essence, they're Franken foods because we take things and put them in to make it super palatable or, or give a long shelf life. And there's really no consideration for how those compounds are typically present. Uh, in nature. And why is that important? Because we evolved with, with food. So there's this co-evolution that kind of goes on. And so we take these foods, we take compounds, plug them in, don't consider any of the ways that they normally present themselves. Plus you want to overconsume these foods. And so you just have this kind of recipe for disaster. And uh, I've seen this where they've connected. I mean, if you want to make a chart that matches the obesity and chronic health epidemic, it's the consumption of heavily processed foods. It's like it like you could like the more of those we consume, the more of those problems we start to see. And I think those are the two main reasons um and there's I'm sure there's probably more, but those are the ones off the top of my head. Yeah.
do you uh you think you're going to be somebody who remains as a public figure for a long time or do you have like an exit plan when you get to a certain place business-wise oh man good question i love what i do and i don't feel like you know what is that saying it's like find something that you love to do and you won't feel like you work or something like yeah, it's, yeah. I didn't, didn't, didn't do what you love and you'll never do work you, a day in your life. Or yeah. Like. Something like that. Like I actually love what I do and I love creating content and I get really inspired when I read studies, for example, like that, like that migraine study that like, you know, they, there's this, um, truism, unfortunately, that it takes about 17 years for what's discovered in science to make its way into day-to-day clinical practice. Right. So granted, you know, a study like that, it's a, it's a, it's one single study. It's a small study. It's probably not something that like is going to change overnight clinical practice. But for me, I get really excited when I read something like that, that has the potential, I think, to the critical reader to, to, to change somebody's life, you know, in, a, in for, for the better potentially. And so I, that's what gets me out of bed in the morning. And so, so long as I can keep doing that, like, and and remain open-minded enough to keep reading and, and and assimilating new information and then creating content via, you know, mediums that are around now, but maybe devised in the future. I feel like, you know, I, I'll definitely continue uh, doing what it is I'm doing because I just, I love it. So the introvert in you doesn't want to just kind of like disappear. Fade. Yeah, yeah, fade away. Yeah, I mean, I think that it would be great. It would be great if I could figure something out where, it didn't need my, like the, the podcast obviously only goes if I'm there, right. you know, my social media only goes if, if I'm there behind it. Um, I'm not good at delegating like, you know, for example, podcast production or, or my social media media to others, because as a creative, I'm a bit of a per- perfectionist with that regard. So it would be great to be able to come up with something or, or team up with, you know, partner with somebody that can kind of like add an arm to my business that doesn't need like my full-time presence. Yeah. Um, I don't yet know what that looks like. You guys have like courses and all these like cool products and, and stuff like that. So that would be like, well, maybe we join forces like the Avengers. Yeah. On top, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You could live out your Robin Hood. Yeah. Live out. Yeah. Adam said that if, if, if I left, he'd replace you with me. So yeah, <laughs> I do. Yeah, I actually said so you picked him as the, yeah, we, we, we play that game every once in a while. Like if Justin dies, like who? some people want like, they play that game too many times. Justin dies. I actually, I, I would you love to be guy. like the honorary, like fifth mind pump guy. Like, you already are. Yeah, dude. Am I? I think you've been yeah, on the show more than anybody else. Have I? It would be I much think. better if you were a chick though, because that would solve a problem that we have where everybody <laughs> yeah. always asks for that. You know, uh, yeah, you need yeah. a girl's opinion. Like, yeah. You know, sounds feminine enough. Yeah. <laughs> You're way more feminine. <laughs> <brings it>. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Always a good time with you, man. Yeah. Likewise. Yeah. I love you guys. I'm excited for tonight and tomorrow. It's going to be a good time. Dude, what a weekend. I'm pumped. It's going to be a lot of fun, man. Thanks for coming. Of course. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Mind Pump. If your goal is to build and shape your body, dramatically improve your health and energy, and maximize your overall performance, check out our discounted RGB Super Bundle at mindpumpmedia.com. The RGB Super Bundle includes MAPS Anabolic, MAPS Performance, and MAPS Aesthetic. Nine months of phased expert exercise programming designed by Sal, Adam, and Justin to systematically transform the way your body looks, feels, and performs. 
With detailed workout blueprints and over 200 videos, the RGB Super Bundle is like having Sal, Adam, and Justin as your own personal trainers, but at a fraction of the price. The RGB Super Bundle has a full 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can get it now plus other valuable free resources at mindpumpmedia.com. If you enjoy this show, please share the love by leaving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes and by introducing Mind Pump to your friends and family. We thank you for your support, and until next time, this is Mind Pump. <laughs>